Good morning, Monday, March 20th, 2023. I'm uh, Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer here at Cantor Fitzgerald Investment Advisors, running the Cantor ETF uh, portfolios. This is my weekly economic and market commentary. You can follow me intro week on both LinkedIn and Twitter. Twitter is at ETF underscore strategist. LinkedIn is just Herb Morgan. And this is available both as a subscription-based uh, piece with slides and graphs and charts, which if you're seeing that, you're on the list. If you're not, just email info at efficient-portfolios.com and ask to be put on the list. Otherwise, you're listening to this via audio only on any of the podcast formats. The name of the podcast is Slaying Bulls and Bears, Making the Complex and Complicated Simple and Sensical. The presentation has been prepared by us, Cantor Fitzgerald Investment Advisors, for use with investors and financial advisors who are each expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in the presentation should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. The information is purely for informational purposes. Well, we had a mixed week. Really, equities were down. They were down big across the board. There was a lot of fear in the market. A lot of fear in the market drove uh, dedicated equity money to uh, big cap technology, which dominates the S&P 500, the NASDAQ 100, and the NASDAQ composite. So you see positive results out of the S&P 500, but mid and small cap stocks were, guess where, what exists there? Lots and lots of regional banks, among other things, of course. International markets down about a quarter percent. Uh, the equity was just a little below the flat line. With the flight to safety and quality from the panic that was happening uh, because of the banking situation, which we'll get into briefly, Barclays Aggregate Bond Index up 1.4%. High yield continues to widen out a little bit on fears of recession. I am now making that call. The recession is coming, it is likely coming uh, sooner rather than later. It has been pulled forward uh, by the occurrences and the happenings in the banking system. Uh, when banks uh, pull in their lending, that is contractionary to the economy. You've got a Fed that's raising rates and it's pulling in liquidity by running off its balance sheet. Couple that with now the private banking sector doing the same. And it, it seems uh, inevitable uh, the recession will be here if it's not already here. Uh, let's get into some of the economic data before we get into some of the, the bigger news. The economic data last week started with the National Federation of Independent Business Small Business Optimism Index, rose a little bit to 90.9, a little bit ahead of expectations, but you can see here just kind of bumping along at a very, very low level. Uh, this is a level not really seen since kind of the early stages of, uh, of, of COVID, right? So we're, we're down there. Things are not too optimistic. We had both CPI and PPI numbers last week. These are critically important because the Federal Reserve Board meets this week, two-day meeting, and make a decision on interest rates. And starting with consumer prices, the February CPI rose four-tenths of a percent, is up 6% on a year-over-year -year basis. The core, which is the red line here, that was up a half a percent was more than expected. It was the biggest gain in the last five months. Unfortunately, it's now five and a half year over year. So that was not a particularly great report, but a really good report came out of the PPI as that is rolling over much faster. Now, of course, it went much higher 
because of the supply chain issues. And therefore, since it went much higher, it should be expected to fall much quicker. And it is. February PPI actually fell a tenth of a percent. The estimate was to go up three tenths of a percent. It's up 4.6 year over year versus expectations of 5.4. And core and headline getting very close together there. Interesting. Core was unchanged, expected to be up, meaning prices did not change month over month for producers, up 4.4, a full 80 basis points below where it's expected to be a year-over-year basis. This is evidence that the Fed needs uh, to make cover to, to stop hiking rates, and I firmly believe that they will not hike rates this week, although the market commentary seems to suggest that the Fed has some sort of uh, need to not kowtow to the realities of what the market is telling them, the messaging from the market, the carnage that's in the market. And there's a lot of folks that think the Fed will continue raise another quarter point this week, but then signal that they are done. So either they signal or they stop completely. One of those two, it's likely that out of that commentary, there's some sort of little bit of market rally here. It does not mean we're out of the woods uh, for the rest of the year as the recession will likely be declared sometime in the coming months. We got New York State and Philly Fed manufacturing readings last week, more data to suggest that we are either in or entering into a recessionary phase in the economy. New York State manufacturing survey fell to minus 24.6. That's 24.6. That's a pretty significantly low number, not unheard of, but consistent with recessions. You can see there, there's the COVID recession of 2020, which was brief and mild, by the way, which I think this one's likely to be as well. Philly Fed survey, you can see there just consistently negative months, three, four, five, six, seven consecutive months below zero. Uh, it rose a little bit, but it was still negative and it was much worse than was expected. Uh, so two negative regional Fed reports. Uh, and the Fed meets today, why would they raise rates? And the, the, the only response is they think inflation is, is more sticky than it appears to be. But there's so much disinflationary things happening in the economy, whether it's the price of oil, uh, whether it's other commodities, it's that PPI number we just saw, uh, capacity utilization, manufacturing, uh, significantly higher announced layoffs, which have yet to find themselves into the weekly jobs claims numbers, but they will, and they will pretty soon. Uh, there's all this evidence, and we know Fed policy acts with a lag. Their policy actions won't show up in the CPI and PPI until well after they've started. Well, we're getting there now. It's been a year since they started uh, hiking interest rates. We got February retail sales down four tenths of a percent after a huge gain in January, backing out autos and gas. They were unchanged, unchanged. Housing starts and permits kind of surprised. Uh, we did not expect to see this, but a big jump up in housing starts up 9.8% in January. I was really surprised. And building permits up 13.8%. As such, the nation's home builders are actually saying they're feeling more optimistic. Surprise, given the fact that, well, let's, let's go back. This is a March reading, it's in March, but all of this stuff with the banks has just happened in the last couple of weeks. And my guess is small builders in particular are going to have a very hard time accessing credit to build homes um, to act on these permits. And so I'm, I'm not convinced that this, this 
blip up in sentiment from 42 to 44, well ahead of the 40 expectation, which by the way is still negative because 50 is the line of delineation here. Uh, I'm not convinced this is, this is sustainable. Weekly gains for unemployment are stubbornly low. This is a great thing. It's one of the reasons why we think, I think, uh, this recession will be shallow and short because we, um, even though we're getting layoff announcements, we're not getting massive job losses like we did, say, in 2020, where we had to give everybody checks and all of that kind of thing. Uh, also, on the disinflationary front, uh, production, industrial production capacity utilization, uh, production was unchanged. Uh, capacity utilization unchanged at 78.4. When you're at 80, you're, it's, I, I say that's inflationary pressure. When you start going and trending below 80, that's disinflationary. And you can see manufacturing coming down, right? You saw it in the two regional Fed indicators that I showed you, and we're seeing it here in the national uh, capacity utilization number above 80, inflationary below 80, but, you know, neutral to, to disinflationary. Uh, I guess the best way to put it. Consumers, not too happy. Still pretty low readings, fell from 67 to 63.4, well below estimates. Consumers are concerned. They're concerned about inflation. They're concerned about a slowing economy. And now they're very concerned about the banking situation. So a quick recap and a timeline of events on the Silicon Valley bank deal. February 24th, less than a month ago, Less than a month ago, KPMG, the big audit firm, signed the 2022 audit report. But deposits, which had exploded in calendar year 2021, remember all that availability of capital, all the Fed money printing and liquidity measures in 2021 coming out of the COVID, because of COVID, a lot of that money found its way into IPOs, SPAC deals, et cetera. And uh, a lot of that money ended up deposited in a bank in Silicon Valley called Silicon Valley Bank. Their deposits exploded in 2021. So Silicon Valley Bank, rather than manage their holdings in shorter term uh, bonds and loans and mortgages, they had it mismatched and most of it was in longer dated maturities. When interest rates go up, a T-bill that matures in 30 days barely moves down in value. But a T-note, or a T-bond rather, that matures in 30 years will move down significantly. So now the assets that Silicon Valley Bank owns are valued at far less than par. My kids got mortgages a few years back uh, from a, one of these California regional banks. 30-year mortgages at 2.5%. Well, that's not worth par anymore, even though the mortgage is paying, it's current, it's good, it's credit's good. But if interest rates in the open market are four and a half, that mortgage is probably worth 75 cents in the dollar. So Silicon Valley Bank, which you don't have to mark those down, you can hold them at par value. But if you get redemptions, if people start pulling money from the bank, then guess what? Then you have to sell some things. So on March 8th, Silicon Valley Bank said, hey, we had to sell some things at a loss. There's probably good mortgages. There's people out there buying them and they're going to make money on them. Um, we had to sell these holdings to meet the withdrawals from the bank. And to make up for that loss, we're going to go ahead and raise more than we lost. We're going to raise $2.25 billion. Well, the next day, that sent the stock plummeting as, as investors attacked and short sellers jumped on board. 
Uh, and then, then the customers, of course, panicked. So they went and said, we need to withdraw another $42 billion from that bank. That the New York Stock Exchange halts the stock from trading. The very next day, regulators cease control. This is now the second largest bank failure in U.S. history after Washington Mutual. Uh, the FDIC announced that insured deposits will be available on Monday. This is on Friday. They don't say anything about the uninsured deposits. And there were lots and lots and lots of deposits above the 250,000 FDIC insure, insured guarantee. Fear then, of course, would spread to other banks as it did over the weekend. But then the US Treasury, the Federal Reserve, and the FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, announced that all deposits will be guaranteed at SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. Regulators also announced at that time that they've taken control of another bank out on the East Coast called Signature Bank, and that those depositors will be made whole. Then we open up, and then fear starts to spread to European banks as U.S. regional banks experience significant turmoil and deposit flight. All of this because a portfolio manager at Silicon Valley Bank failed to manage his fixed income portfolio. Should have just bought shorter term U.S. treasuries. Uh, or hedged his longer term. They were literally not paying attention. This is just a failure of individual portfolio managers, essentially, at the bank, people like me. Then over the weekend, UBS announced to take over Credit Suisse at a shotgun wedding put together by the Swiss National Bank and the Swiss government. So what does all this mean for all of us? Well, there's a couple of things happening right now. I don't know when the turmoil settles down or ends in banking and regional. I think that regulators will be announcing continuing things like all deposits are guaranteed that prevents the runs in the bank, et cetera. So let's just move on and say, oh, how, how, are, how are stocks doing? Well, surprisingly, the S&P 500 was up last week along with the NASDAQ. One of the ways I like to value the stock market is something I call the equity risk premium. The blue line represents the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury, what we would call the risk-free rate of return, about 3.5% as of this morning, 3.4, 3.41. The earnings yield, which is this bronze-colored line or orange-colored line, represents the earnings yield of the S&P 500, the opposite, the inverse rather, of the price-earnings ratio. This is the earnings divided by the price. So we're looking in the 5% range. The difference between the two is the equity risk premium. And recently, we were all complaining that the equity risk premium for owning stocks was very low. Well, suddenly, just like that, as the interest rates drop on the 10-year and the stock market kind of hung in there, to be, it's actually down a little, uh, last week it was up, so that drives that delta between those two, or you see there, drives it higher. Now the equity risk premium is about 1.9%, up from 1.2%, literally at the beginning of the month. That's still not super high, it's still plenty of risk in equities, especially since we're entering into a recession. So we're still relatively conservatively positioned here at Kanner Fitzgerald. But it all comes down to this week, what's the Fed going to do? It's pretty obvious that the economy is contracting on its own, that the, the inflation problem is no longer the problem. We now have a confidence problem, we have a banking problem, we're going to have an earnings problem. 
And so the, the market does no longer believes the Fed's going to continue raising rates. In fact, this is implied policy rate from Bloomberg terminal. It said you know, the number of hikes and cuts that are priced in, which is the right-hand side, you can see we were expecting Fed funds to top out here in July and August, as recently as February or March 1st. Three and a half more hikes, that's between 75 and 100 basis points, and then start slowly coming down next year in a, in a top implied policy rate of about 5.4 or 5.5%. Well, just 19 days later, today, we're talking about a top rate now of about 4.8, about 50 basis points less. Number of hikes at the maximum is just over one, and that's coming tomorrow. Will there be one more 25 basis point hike tomorrow? I don't think there should be. The reason there shouldn't be is that the pace of these hikes, which was so aggressive, because we left rates at zero for far too long and created inflation, so it's policy mistake after policy mistake after policy mistake. This has now led to uh, an existential crisis for some regional banks and significant fear and significant problems within the banking sector, something called the TED spread. Um, TED spread is basically what banks loan money to each other at overnight in excess of, of a, a one-month T-bill rate. So if the one-month one TVO rate is 1% and they charge 1.3, you get the idea. That's the TED spread. And when banks charge more to loan money to each other overnight, it's because there's fear of not being paid back. So when it goes up, there's stress in the system. And you can see the TED spread here really shooting up in the last couple of weeks. How bad is this number? Well, let's put it in perspective. The TED spread back in 2008 was 450 basis points. And today we're at about 90 basis points. So nowhere near the level of concern or stress in the market and in the banking system. This, this, was, this was an isolated incident of incidence of incompetency at Silicon Valley Bank that has the ability to spread contagion to other banks, but should not because the regulators are stepping in and doing what they're supposed to do. Okay, economic data this week, nothing today, good. Home sales on Tuesday, it all comes down to Fed, whether they say we're not hiking and we're pausing, or we're hiking 25 and we're pausing. I think either one of those are met with some enthusiasm from the market. Jobs claims Thursday, new home sales, durable goods, uh, S&P Global Services and Manufacturing PMIs. These are the flash readings on Friday. You can see manufacturing contraction. Services barely, barely, barely in, in, in uh, expansion. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be back to you again next week.